Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore. And the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Touched by Kalach. Ritson's got a kick. Celtic couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Tail goes to Spencer. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He's You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Thank you for joining us for episode 41 of Shim, Spider, and so much more. Lots to get through again today, including the dreaded VAR, which reared its ugly head again at Cooper's Stadium on Friday. A riveting Sydney derby. There's the fan protests at Old Trafford in the Premier League. And our special guest is none other than Socceroos playing legend and former national team coach, Frank Farina. All that to come. But let's uh, first welcome our boys from the golden generation, Craig Moore and Jelko Kalatz. How are you guys? Are you good? All good, boys. All good over here. Enjoying watching the football at a reasonable hour, are you, Spider? Mate, I tell you what, how good is it? You don't get up like a bastard in the morning and <laughs> grind through the day. You go to bed after a cracking night's football, it's tops. Um, cracking weekend's football in Scotland, Mr. Moore. Your Rangers team uh, hammering Celtic by four goals to one. Uh, looks like they're going to uh, have the unbeaten season. Uh, I, lo- I looked at the, the, the players that they've got at the moment. How nice for Jermaine Defoe. He's 38 and he's just won his first league championship medal. That's an amazing story. You look, you, you know, you, you speak about Jermaine Defoe. Alan McGregor, I think, is 39 and has had a wonderful season. Also, uh, Simon, although he's won a few more trophies, um, there's, there's, there's a few older players within. There's a good mix between youth um, and experience. Rangers were disappointing uh, to not um, give themselves a possibility to, to go and do the double. They got knocked out of the, the cup by St. Johnston uh, through penalties, which was a huge, huge disappointment. But any Rangers supporter, Simon, you ask them at the start of the season, can they stop Celtic winning 10 in a row and win the league? They're this season, that. <laughs> mate, 100%. That's what this season has been about. Uh, and they are looking as if they're going to go undefeated and break 100 points, which is incredible. Job done. Okay, let's uh, get into it then in Hard Talk. Hard Talk. 
Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Well, boys, let's uh, start with some off-field stuff here in Australia. Unfortunately, some trouble in the Rockdale against Sydney United uh, clash last week, which we, I think, touched upon in last week's podcast, uh, which has brought out the usual dinosaurs in the Australian media. Uh, FFA, sorry, Football Australia, CEO James Johnson, uh, going on air on radio to talk about the incident uh, last week. And he ends up being hectored on the scrapping of the NCIP policy which is uh, rather interesting. Do, do you think that was a wise thing to do? Did he give a good account of himself? And the third part of, of that question is, why do we consistently have to defend ourselves uh, against this? Not defending the, the, the trouble that happened because it was ugly, but uh, why is it that our sports continually uh, has to uh, find itself on the end of these uh, campaigns, it seems to me? Well, first and foremost, I think James Johnson actually done a great job uh, considering uh, what's the name of the guy that did the interview? Ray Hadley. Yeah, Ray Hadley uh, obviously had an agenda and he was an absolute bully. He actually wouldn't let James talk. He kept on talking over the top of him. So why bring someone on if you're not going to let them speak? He had an agenda. It was simple as that, mate. Uh, at the end of the day, I think James done a good job in keeping his calm and uh, presenting the the situation that he did. Maury? Yeah, no, I mean, again, I didn't really hear the interview. I've seen, obviously, the media and all that sort of stuff. And I'm, I don't really like talking about it too much, Simon, because I'm thinking, why do we give these people oxygen? Why do we continue to, to give them um, the publicity that they want? Um we have a very diverse and, and multicultural game within our country in Australia. Uh, we, we should be embracing that. Um, it's been our history um, and it certainly will be part of our future. Um, I love James Johnson's passion. Um, I probably question why you would put yourself in that particular situation, knowing that you're going to be heckled. Uh, a couple of points to make from me on this. Um, I think one of the things that frustrates a lot of people is the double standards at play. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, boys, but on Sunday there was a stabbing, sad to say, at a community rugby league game in Sydney on Sunday. Now, I'm going to be fascinated to see if that becomes a rugby league issue in the same way that what happened last week was automatically translated into a football or soccer issue. Uh, somehow, I doubt it. And that is where the inconsistency kicks in. And I think that's what frustrates uh, and angers an awful lot of football people. Uh, secondly, the other thing I would say is I think there was a fair bit of inconsistency in that particular radio interview. Uh, some of the arguments put forward were not correct. Uh, the assumption was is that the Lowy family were kicked out of football. 
that is not strictly true. Frank Lowy had to stand down as per constitution in 2015. And yeah. Stephen, his son, who succeeded him, quit in 2018. Nobody kicked anybody out. Stephen could have stu- stood again uh, had he wanted to, but he didn't. And that's uh, fair enough. Um, but for this particular presenter to uh, be saying, why would you kick these people out? These are, um, you know, successful business people. Well, of course they are. But these issues are not black and white. And anybody who is involved in football uh, understands that. This, these were very complex governance issues. And unfortunately, we see people who do not have backgrounds in football, who don't have any passion for the sport and very little knowledge of it, uh, proffering opinions that are based on just that, opinions uh, rather than facts. Uh, the other thing I'd, I'd like to say is there's, there's a certain irony that at the weekend, Premier League clubs instigate a social media ban to protest against abuse of players, particularly racial, uh, while here we're still talking about too much ethnicity in the game. Goodness me. It's time we moved on from all that. Um, let's move on uh, on this podcast to the A-League action at Cooper's Stadium on Friday, guys. Uh, two red cards in the goalless draw between Adelaide and Western United. But the big talking point, and I've been very vocal about this on Twitter this weekend, uh, was, again, the VAR. Denying Dylan Perias with what seems like a legitimate winner by uh, squiggly lines, the margins of which are millimetres spider. Yeah, look, uh, I think I said put a bomb in it about two months ago, the <laughs> VAR. <did>. <laughs> and, and, mate, yeah, seriously, we're giving it too much airtime as well, the VAR. Mate, I've said it before, they're not listening. Why can't they just listen to what the people want? This is what football is about, what the people want. They don't want it. Get rid of it. It's driving everyone insane. Mm, and it yeah. was a, you know what, the, the games are getting changed by VAR, by, by millimetres, and that's not the name of football. Completely agree. Maureen? Yeah, I, to- I totally agree as well, uh, Spides. I mean, unfortunately, um, it seems to be here um, for, the, for the long term, which, which disappoints me. Um, you know, once again, we've got to... I mean, it, if you're going to implement a system, for me, it's like, well, okay, so... Let's have all the technology, all the camera angles, all the bells and whistles so that the right decision can be made. We don't have that in Australia. And there's, there's, there's other countries that also do not have that, Spides. So mate, like, how, how, how can you make the correct decision and why are you continuing to go with something that um, there's, there's, there's a doubt? VAR should stop the doubt. There is yeah. a, a suggestion, guys, that in Holland, the Eredivisie has instigated a system which actually ignores FIFA rules on VAR. They are giving a margin of error on the assistant ref's calls on the offsides to avoid what we do now label the armpit offside call, which is ludicrous in itself. Uh, the, the Dutch mm-hmm. league has five centimetre wide lines on the screen rather than the razor thin ones that are in use in the Premier league and in the a league Uh, and if the lines touch then var doesn't intervene it's rather similar to the 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 cricket system on on the lbw's i think that's a better system give a margin of error at least if we're going to use this thing 100 percent. i think maury mentioned it a couple of weeks ago as well uh maury ahead of your time buddy but um and it's it's great that that's something that'll actually make things clearer uh, I still think we don't need it. And like Maury says, 
we we actually were the first ones to start using it as well. So we can be the first ones to get rid of it as well. Yeah, but Spides, we're, we're looking at, in our game, right? People want to be entertained. How do you entertain them? It's by seeing goals, right? And and I know back in the day, it was like advantage to the attacking player. Mate, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you're talking, you know, a toenail or millimetres or an armpit. Like, come on, guys. Like, we're, let's... We're trying let's... to find ways, aren't we, to, to rub out goals, which shouldn't really be the aim of the game. Um, and, and just on that, Maury, one of the things that we lost in that uh, Piraeus goal that was disallowed was the through ball from Alessandro Diamante, which is arguably, for me, would have been the assist of the season. What a ball from a player who is just uh, still head and shoulders for me uh, above most in this league. And yet that's rubbed out. Yeah, you know what happens, yeah. Simon? You get you get to a stage in your football career as a as a mature, experienced player where uh, the brain the brain doesn't stop. The, the quality that Diamante have uh, has is 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 unbelievable. His intelligence to play the killer ball, that execution. Okay, maybe he doesn't have the legs, but what a wonderful pass fighter! Yeah, now it's quality. And again, the VAR is ruining the moments in matches like this why people are coming to the games to watch quality players like this. And I tell you, like for Roods, for example, we're talking about Western United, we're talking about Diamante as well. Mate, I think he's not working on things like that every week at training because he knows he's got the best passer of the ball, him and probably Ninkovic, uh, in the league. So his players are running into spaces because they know this genius will find him. And VAR is ruining all this shit. Couldn't agree more. Um, let's talk about some of the positives. Uh, Sydney Derby on Saturday, a cracking game, a 20,000 crowd. I bet there won't be too many uh, stories written about that, as opposed to the 990 that uh, turned up to watch Western United and the Newcastle Jets. And talking to those experienced players, uh, Maury, Scotty McDonald again showing why he's uh, still a top striker. Yeah, I still struggle to understand how the what probably one of the smallest men on the pitch can get a header. Yeah, that's that stage of the game. But you know what? It was a cracking game. It was a great uh, advertisement for for what we do have on offer. Uh, I thought the fans. I thought the atmosphere was fantastic. I thought the quality of the game was actually very good. Um, derbies that that ain't come much bigger. But Western Sydney Wanderers Spider, what a massive, massive result! I tell you, Maury, the derby couldn't have come at a better time for them. They, they were feeling the heat. They got beat by victory the week before. They, they've been quite ordinary with getting results. And the derby was the spark that they needed. And uh, they lived up to it. They, they stood up. They were counted. I thought they were very, very good. I, I thought Sydney had some good chances as well. They probably had the better chances. But uh, Wanderers deserved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but mate, it's a derby. That's that's what the Sydney derby brings. No other code in the world can give you that. And mate, well done to both sets of fans, both players. Everything was fantastic. It was a great promo for the game. Sure was. Um, Spider, going to stick with you. Uh, not a lot to uh, uh, write home about in the Perth nil, MacArthur nil game, but uh, a word of praise for Liam Reddy, who's just achieved an A-League record for the number of uh, shutouts. And uh, strangely enough, that's Glory's first clean sheet of the season as well. I tell you, a rocket is like a fine bottle of wine, isn't he? He's just getting better with, uh, with every year that he's playing. I think he's been outstanding since he's been at Perth. 
Um, considering he didn't even start the beginning of the season, well, you know, that soon uh, they soon found out they needed him back in goals and he's been fantastic since then. But you know what? It's funny. We were talking about Perth having so much firepower and they can't really score, but it wasn't from lack of efforts this match. They had more than enough chances to win that game. They, they just didn't take it and they're struggling. They're, they're languishing down the bottom of the table for, for that reason. Talking of a team struggling for goals, uh, Maura, your old club Brisbane Raw drawing nil-nil with Wellington as well. Mate, makes you wonder why they were willing to let Scott McDonald go. Yeah, I mean... Like, I know there was obviously some stuff that went on, clearly. Yeah, we'll touch on that. And it probably doesn't help that, like it says, Scotty Mac moves and then scores a winner in a, a Sydney derby, uh, especially when Brisbane aren't scoring goals. But look, Brisbane are doing okay. They're... They're hovering in the in the top finals, uh, top six position, but a bit of a bit of work still to do, um, a bit to play out. You know, I just with this squad, I just, I just feel as if there's a bit of an undercurrent of um, people actually being happy within the football club. There's uh, a rumor just, that Jamie Young might want to leave yeah, as well. I read, I read that story as well, and I don't know if there's any any truth to that, Simon, or not. But Jamie Young's been there forever, uh, an unbelievable professional, a wonderful person. And the story that I read was that he was looking for opportunities elsewhere. So I don't know. I, I mean, I'm guessing. But hmm. Macaulay Gillespie uh, still to, to sign a new deal as well. Um, elsewhere, Melbourne Victory won, Central Coast Mariners won. Um, guys, we're in the first week of May. We're recording this the 3rd of May. Still no announcement of any TV deal. You concerned about that? Very worrying. Very, very worrying, um, especially when we know that everyone is waiting for this. The game is waiting for this. Oh, that's it. Sorry, I that thought, I thought you were about to go into a big that's... rant there, Spider. <laughs> no, I, I don't know anymore what to say, guys. Yeah. I, I really don't know anymore what to say. Like, I mean, I don't want to keep repeating myself week in, week out on the show. Mm. Um, but it, it's worrying times. And yep. I, I'm lost for I'm lost for words anymore because I don't know anything. Uh, we're not hearing anything. No one's telling us anything. So it's it's worrying. Fingers crossed. Let's let's hear some announcements soon. Yes, uh, hopefully this week or next we shall see. Um, Spider, last one. I'm going to ask you this one because this is an interesting one, and you've got a sort of a little bit of personal experience in this, without wishing to delve into the personal um, details of it. But the story written by Vince Regari in the Herald regarding the Australian consortium looking to try and buy Bohemians Prague. This is a club, of course, in the Czech Republic that uh, does have some links to football in Australia via a, a tour many, many years ago, and they have a kangaroo. Uh, emblem on their on their uh, club logo. Uh, this is led by John Didelitsa, apparently, uh, to look to try and provide some pathways for Australian players. This, of course, has been tried uh, at Zanti. Uh, it's still ongoing. Is this the way forward for, for players? And why aren't these uh, consortiums investing in the game in this country? Look, I still think it's a fantastic idea. The idea is not the problem. It's the end product that is the problem. Uh, if we can get, if these clubs are smart enough to get good young players out of Australia without paying too big of a price for them, their ongoing selling price in Europe is going to be much, much more for these clubs than what they can get getting, getting them out of Australia. So I don't think the idea is wrong. I think the execution is wrong. 
yeah, you're spot on, Spies. But the, the hardest thing is, you know what it's like, because you've been through the experience at Zanti, yeah? Um, you're in Croatia now, so you've got an understanding. You get an Australian inv investor or any kind of investor that, that's not local, right? The, the opportunities for those younger players, they may be there, but the support of the local community is not there. So it's, it's, it's not yeah. as easy... An Australian investor gets involved with a club in Europe and all of a sudden all the Australian players are going to flood in. It doesn't work like that. That's If that's no. your business plan, it's very naive. Yeah. I no. couldn't have said it better, no. to be honest. I think that's uh, uh, probably a good summing up. I mean, we, you know, we sometimes in this country jump up and down when we see foreign investors come and take over our clubs and think, well, why are they bringing in, for example, you know, the Newcastle Jets brought in a player from China. Adelaide United brought in a player from China because that was a a partner club and yet we we're seemingly okay when it's aussies going overseas doing exactly the same thing there's a, there's a little bit of double standards in there isn't there anyway it's an interesting story we'll see how that one develops uh, thanks for the moment guys let's head overseas london calling london calling go further with the australian college of physical education with more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Their bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, applied fitness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for semester one, 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Well, before we uh, uh, talk about the Premier League, let's uh, just uh, briefly reflect upon uh, the Champions League semi-finals uh, first legs, which took place last week. Um, we could be set, Maury, for an all-English final. Chelsea in the box seat against Real Madrid and Manchester City producing a, a quite brilliant second-half display to defeat uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Can the two Premier League clubs finish the job off, do you think? Yeah, it's looking as if it's every possibility. But I'll tell you what, the, the PSG-Man City game, wasn't that a game of two halves? I, I couldn't sure believe was. Mate, I couldn't believe how good PSG were. You know, Neymar was flying, Di Maria was showing bits and pieces, Mbappe was lively. And then all of a sudden, the second half, Man City just turned the screw. Don't get me wrong, PSG will be really disappointed with the two goals that they lost. And Spider, you might be able to comment being a, being a goalkeeper. Uh, saying that, he couldn't do anything with the second. Um, yep. But every chance, um, not only in Champions League, but also Europa, that um, we could be looking at um, full English, full English breakfast. <laughs> a, a greasy spoon for the Champions League final. Um, Spider, let's ask you about the Europa League. That could be an all-English final as well. Manchester United and Arsenal. Uh, United in particular look to be in the final already. Arsenal have got a bit to do. No, United are in the final already. No, no chance in the world, mate. They're the best away team in Europe at the moment. 
and they got a four four goal buffer. <laughs> what chance have they got of going out? Uh, but the other the other tie is interesting because, uh, mate, Villarreal's a good side. Uh, I know Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal seem to be better away from home, and that's that's still an open tie. Very interesting. Very interesting tie. I reckon. Um, I reckon it could be a Villarreal Manchester United final. But massive goal, points. Massive goal though for Arsenal away. Big, 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 yeah, yeah, huge, huge. But all, all, all four games, Champions League and Europa League, three are still alive. One's yep. dead and buried. Yep. Um, two domestic matters in England, and the big story on Sunday, of course, was uh, the fan protest by the Manchester United supporters uh, against the Glazers, calling for them to leave the club, supported uh, tacitly, maybe even overtly by Gary Neville, former United legend, uh, forcing Maury the postponement of uh, the big game between United and Liverpool at uh, Old Trafford. Is this going to run and run, this saga, not just with United, but with some of the other clubs as well? We've seen protests at Arsenal, protests at Chelsea, protests at Tottenham. Yeah, there, there is a real um, problem brewing, I think, here in the UK, Simon, that uh, there was a bad taste about obviously the Super League. Um, some fans, I don't think, will ever forgive the owners in terms of um, the the hand that they tried to play and were unsuccessful. Uh, we were expecting a, a peaceful protest today uh, at Old Trafford. Unfortunately, it turned sour in terms of there was some uh, some violence and unfortunately, the news have been following uh, throughout the day. A policeman was glassed. Uh, again, these kind of things are not great. The fans broke into the to the stadium. So, look, there's, there's real unrest uh, and real um, disgust about the whole play for the Super League. And the owners, to be fair, oh, I think they're really struggling in terms of um, the push is going to continue to come from the fans. They don't want them. Mm-hmm. They really don't want them. They, they've completely misread the room, haven't they, unfortunately, on all of this. Massively. Um, on the pitch, a uh, pretty good week for City. Obviously, they uh, won the Carabao Cup final. They won in uh, Paris and uh, defeated Crystal Palace. Sergio Aguero is still showing he's got that goal touch. Uh, where do you think he'll end up, Spider? He's leaving City at the end of the season. Will he go back to Argentina? It's possible, yeah. There's you talk know, of Everton he's... being interested. What's Boca? Was it Boca? Uh, no, he was... Um, he was Independiente, wasn't he? Uh, to start off with, yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to research yeah. that. But it, you know what? It'd be, it'd be strange if another club in the Premier League doesn't pick him up because he's still got serious quality, and especially one of these clubs that are that are that are involved with uh, Europa League and Champions League. They they play a million matches a year, so they need a deep squad, and he'd be perfect. And let's be honest, these players can't play all the games. Huh? No, no chance he's going to no chance he's going to another English Premier League club. No, no. Nah. What do you say? Why do you say that, Big Chops? <laughs> well, to be fair, his his salary is actually quite pricey, um, for one. Um, and I don't, I just don't think I think he'll show some loyalty in terms of he won't play for another Premiership team that will compete against Man City. He's he's achieved everything hopefully, um, at that football club. Champions League still alive for him. Um, I can't see him playing for another Premier League club. It was uh, Independiente, incidentally, his, his first club back in uh, Argentina. So maybe that's a possibility. Uh, I mentioned that Everton mm. were were interested in, in signing him. Goodness me, Everton have missed some chances to get into the top four this season. Their home form 
has been awful. And they lost again to Aston Villa at the weekend. Carlo Ancelotti must be tearing his hair out. But I still think he's had a, had a good season. I, I yeah. know. I, he has. I know, like, they're, they're not going to make the top four. Uh, but I still think he's done a great job. Um, you know, Everton is not a team that fills the Champions League spot every year. And to get so close must have given their supporters so much joy this year. They might drop short. Ancelotti will be very shrewd with his recruiting with one or two players like an Aguero and make him a little bit stronger. We'll see what happens. Um, Tottenham, easy winners over Sheffield United. Gareth Bale on song again. But uh, a couple of their managerial targets after the departure of Jose Mourinho, Maury, have uh, gone by the wayside. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann, of course, has gone to Bayern Munich. Brendan Rodgers, it seems, has ruled himself out, although that could yet change. Eric Ten Hag has signed a new deal with Ajax. Um, who, who goes to White Hart Lane? They're going to take their time, that's for sure, as you, as you touched on there. Um, you know, Ralph Rangnick, the German, the, there's a bit of a, you know, successful German flavour that um, the UK, England have experienced. Um, it's, a tough, it's a tough one. Scotty Parker, obviously, no chance because, you know, he's had his, his challenges and battles, obviously, with Fulham, although I think he's, he's a great up-and-coming young manager. Um, very, very interesting about who's going to be the next Tottenham Tottenham manager. I can only speculate, but I've got zero idea in terms of what um, mm. what they're looking at. It's a really, really interesting one. It's a big job um, with with a lot of expectation, you know, uh, in terms of the, the next manager, who that's going to be. Can they keep Harry Kane? There's there's so much there that, that's uh, potentially possible at, at Tottenham, but if they don't get the right person, then I think they'll lose some players and some top top players. Yeah, they're a club uh, in transition at the moment. Uh, and another name, uh, Eddie Howe, apparently is uh, is about to take over from Neil Lennon at the end of the season at, at Celtic Moor. Is that what you're hearing too? I've touched on it. I've been, been working the radio up here, um, Simon, and, and, and Eddie Howe for the last four to six weeks uh, has been the talk of the town. But um, there's been no statements. There's been no comment. Um, at the same time, every single job that comes up in the UK, Eddie Howe is linked to. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, for, for, for Celtic or for Celtic supporters, um, they will want a head coach that's committed and that wants to be the head coach of Celtic Football Club. And I just I just don't get that feeling. I get the feeling that, that Eddie Howe is potentially playing the field, playing the market. And, um, yeah, it'd be very interesting. He'll be a good choice, um, a good option for Celtic because he played an entertaining brand of football at Bournemouth. But... How long? How long before he makes a call or, or Celtic make a call to say this is this is a time frame you've got to make a decision? Mm. It's got to happen soon, hasn't it? Um, let's finish off with uh, with this one, Spider. A bit of a downer, but uh, reading the tragic story of, of Diego Maradona's uh, death and um, the the tale that uh, the care that was offered to uh, the Argentine legend was tragically deficient and reckless. That's the description in the media. Um, one of the papers saying that uh, he, he started dying 12 hours before it, he passed away. This is very, very sad, isn't it, for, for such a, a yeah. legend of the game. Um, died in an apartment on his own in, in Buenos Aires. Um, I, I don't, there's, there's almost sort of a, a, an inevitability about Maradona's end in some ways, but uh, it appears that this is not quite the end of the tale, and maybe some people are going to be held accountable for it. 
Yeah, very, very sad when I when I seen that news uh, to think that he had a chance to survive, mm. and mm. the way that he the way that he passed, uh, very sad news. Tragic. All right, uh, thanks guys. We're going to head off to our final segment, and we got another fantastic guest waiting for us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Darwin in 1964, but began his career with Canberra City in 1983 via the AIS. From there, he played for Sydney City, Marconi Stallions, and then went to Belgium to play for Club Bruges, where he won the Golden Boot in 1990. He had stints in Italy with Bari, in England with Notts County, in France with Strasbourg and Lille, before ending his career back in Australia with the Brisbane Strikers and Marconi. He played for Australia 37 times, scoring 11 goals. He was player coach of the Strikers, head coach of the Raw, Sydney FC, the Fijian national team, and the Socceroos for seven years. He is, of course, Frank Farina. How are you, Frank? Thanks, Simon. Yeah, no, I'm very well, thank you. And uh, obviously an esteemed company here, so uh, feeling good on this public holiday. <laughs> He's lying already. He's already started lying. <laughs> Uh, Frank, how does a kid with Indigenous heritage from Darwin forge a career that takes him to Europe and beyond? Yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, look, no one, no one knew about the Indigenous background, you know, and obviously with a name like Farina, who would who would have thought, you know? But uh, yeah, it was there, and I think back in back in the day, I, I hate to say that, but um, you know, it was very different. Um, you know, I lived in Papua New Guinea until 1976 uh, after independence in 75. So came to Australia and, and the net wasn't so wide then. So, you know, coming from North Queensland, um, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. And, yeah, fortunately, you know, a gentleman by the name of Ronnie Smith came came across me at a school's championship and, and obviously saw something in this little sort of black log fella. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, offered me a, a scholarship at the AAS, which um, yeah, that was that was the starting point, and uh, that was the start of the you know the journey, I guess. So it's all down to Ronnie Smith. Um, <clears throat> do, do you remember your debut for Canberra? Now I've researched this. I hope this is correct. I think it was at Highmarsh Stadium, March 1983, against Adelaide City, and you scored in a two-all draw. Am I right? Yeah, you're actually correct. You've done your homework, Simon. So. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, now that you tell me, yes, that would have been my debut, definitely. Yeah. Do you remember it at all? Um, I, I do remember scoring. I don't remember how, but um, yes, I, I don't remember much of the game. It's, you know, it's a bit, bit of a time ago, but uh, yeah, it was obviously a very exciting time for me. I was only a young fellow then coming out of the AIS and uh, yeah, it was a big, big stage for me at that, at that time. In 1985, uh, you went to Sydney City. So you, all of a sudden, you're playing alongside John Cosmina, Steve O'Connor, Murray Barnes, uh, Jerry Gomez, under the late, uh, great Eddie Thompson. Um, and you reached the grand final in, in, in your first season there, uh, losing to Brunswick. Yeah, it was the old, I think, North and South um, championships then. And we, we won the Northern Division and then had to play off against uh, Brunswick in the the grand final as to so to speak but um yeah that journey to sydney city i, 
left Canberra in 84 and I was in the national team or had been selected in the national squad at the time. And Frank Eric wanted me to go to uh, St. George, God rest his soul as well. And uh, I remember on a phone call, he, he said to me, oh, you should come here, son. You know, I can't do his accent, but he goes, otherwise you'll never play for Australia again. So, <laughs> and, uh, Eddie Thompson, being the Scotsman that he was, he said, "Don't worry about that." He said, uh, "Frank's just all all wind. He'll he, he'll forgive you, and you'll play again for Australia." And so I signed for Sydney City, who were a great side at the time, and uh, uh, I ended up playing for Australia again. So Frank did forgive me ultimately. They were a great side, Sydney City, and then Frank Lowy suddenly pulled the plug on the club. Was that a bit of a shock? I imagine it must uh, have been. <laughs> it, well, it wasn't such a shock to me because uh, I had a meeting with um, with Frank, uh, Eddie, and um, Andrew Letter at the prior to it, and they told me that what was going to happen. And uh, don't worry, they got I think about thirty five thousand dollars from Marconi for me at the time, which was a was a, quite a big transfer fee in Australia. And so I actually left prior to the season starting, and I I. I played with Marconi that year and Sydney City played one game, I think, against St. George and then um, they pulled the pin. But, you know, they still got their transfer fee for me, so that was all right for them. <laughs> Frankie, is there any any truth? I believe there is because I think we've had this conversation. You're at Sydney City. You've got a chance of a sign-on fee or shares in Westfield? <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've been telling stories, Craig. Yes, but uh, that, 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 is, that is true. It's a, it's a true story. Um, when I signed, I, I had a signing on fee and, you know, without disclosing amounts, um, I remember sitting in a room and, you know, I was offered, you know, each year. So it was a two-year deal and each year I'd get a signing on fee. And I was offered, but we don't really need to mention names, but I guess everyone will know who, that I get paid half of my signing on fee in, in Westfield shares and the other in, in normal cash. And, um, I remember leaving the meeting and they told me not, you know, I could decide and whatever. And Eddie Thompson, Tom Ager said to me, he goes, so what do you think, son? You know, he said, I think it's a good deal. And I said, Tom, I, I, I don't know anything about shares. And I said, what, what's Westfield? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the story is true. Needless to say, one of my, my, my greatest uh, mistakes of, <laughs> of my career. <laughs> Oh, what, were yes. they, what was the price then, Frankie? And what, what's the price now? Oh, look, look, I, I don't even <laughs> look back that far. I, I tell my partner now that you know that story, and and she she actually worked for News Limited at the time, and she said, "You're an idiot." And I said, well, "Let's see you see it at the moment." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, uh, Frank, you said uh, <clears throat> you you signed for Marconi. Um, that was probably where you, your career started to really uh, take off. You, you'd been successful already, but you won two golden boots with, with the Stallions, won the NSL title in 1988 uh, against Sydney United, and that sort of catapulted you into the, the overseas market, didn't it? It did. Uh, I, I guess I'd, I'd gone overseas in, at the end of 80, 87 season, I think it was, and uh, Rota at the time in Holland were wanting to sign me Jelka, one of your old clubs, uh, I believe. And um, I think Hamburger was the, uh, I know Rob Barn was the coach then. And his assistant at the time was uh, another national coach. I just can't remember his name, the Dutchman. Um, yes. Uh, no, no, it wasn't Pim. It was the, uh, I think. Uh, Ademos? Uh, 
No, who was the coach? One of the our coaches we had here with the national team, not Pim. The Slayan. The Yes, yes. He was he was um, Rob Barnes' assistant at the time, and and for whatever reason, there was a journalist by the name of Tommy Anderson, who's a great guy. I got along with him really well. He was brokering the deal. This is the days when journalists bro- brokered deals <laughs> as you, well. You as think agents. you took wrong career choices, Frank? So Tommy was working for the Daily Daily Mirror, I think, at the time in, in Sydney, and he anyway there was some. Uh, dastardly deeds going on in the background and, and I ended up not signing. So I came back to Australia and Mark Haney offered me a new deal. And then, yeah, I was approached at, at, during the 88 season when we, we'd played Israel quite a number of times in World Cup qualifiers and there was a, an Israeli manager who approached me. And, um, yeah, then at the end of the, the Olympics, I went, went to Bruges and, um, yeah, signed, signed from there. Fair to say that was a very, very good move on, on your behalf. Uh, you had a great time with with Bruges. Uh, and I, I, was, I was researching again, looking at the sort of players you were teammates with. Uh, th- these are names from my childhood, Frankie van der Elst and Jan Kuhlemans. Um, your coach was George Lakins, I think at least in the second season. And there was an Aussie there as well in Vlado Bozanovsky the first year. Yeah, that's right. Vlado, um, he, he came with me at the time. And if you remember, that transfer sparked a major major um, inquiry in Australian football, the Stuart inquiry. over, And it started basically from the, those transfer, mine and, and Vlado's, to, to Belgium. And that, that inquiry went on for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of friends lost their friendships over that. I know Eddie Thompson with, you know, the late Michael Cockrell. There was a lot of... Uh, a lot of issues in Australian football then because of that uh, and that Stuart inquiry went right into into details and people were accused of, you know, backhanders and whatever. And the game changed again in, in, from that front, uh, from, you know, that transfer. But um, you mentioned the great players. Yeah, they, they were wonderful. It was a wonderful team, Bruges, that I went to. I was lucky as a striker to go to a side that, um, you know, was a, a top team and, uh, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it there. We we won trophies, and I think you know the guys will tell you that your career. You, it doesn't matter what you earn, what you what you do. You you always look back and and look at what you've what you've won. You know what what trophies you, you've got. Um, it's great to have the have the money and whatever, but we always remember you know those great times when you win things. When you go back to Belgium, not that you can at the moment with COVID, but when you go back to Belgium and to Bruges, do the fans still remember you because you, you were a bit of a cult hero there really for the for the Bruges supporters back in the day oh, I don't know well Paolo Paul Ocon sent me a link the other day about uh 50 greatest players the club turned 130 this year so it's a very you know a club steeped rich in history so he sent me a, a link uh saying I was voted 41 out of 50 or something or of that but my son went there about four years ago and um he's godfather because my son was born in belgium his godfather took him out for dinner and to cafes and um, my son said to me he goes i couldn't believe it he said i was i didn't pay for anything he said um you know his godfather paid for everything and he said he didn't really because they gave it to him for nothing because he was with him so (laughs) (laughs) I, i definitely have to go back yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if only for a free lunch. Um, yeah, you then became the the first Australian. I didn't know this. I have to admit, but uh, you you became the first Aussie to play in Serie A for Bari. 
um, which, given your heritage, I would imagine would be a, a very proud moment for you as well. You thought the black fella or what? <laughs> well, you, you've got a bit of everything, Frank. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing when I look back at the, 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 the tree, the family tree. Uh, mate, I've even got Chinese in me, so I'm on with everyone. I can tell jokes about everyone and get away with it. But uh, yeah, it was. And, and that, if you remember the Syria, then was it was the, only the three foreigner rule because the Bosman ruling hadn't come in or was just coming in, but it was three foreigners and three could play. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, it was most probably a bad decision for me. I, I decided to sign. We played uh, Milan, AC Milan, one of your old teams against Elko for in the Champions League. The Champions League was a different format then as well. And and we got knocked out. And in the final minute, I, I did my knee, um, just a meniscus. And there were three clubs, Verona, um, Bologna and Bari, who were interested. And as soon as I did my knee, I, I needed you know an operation arthroscopy. And uh, Bari were the only one that stayed in. And they wanted me to sign a pre-contract. And they you know paid money up front. And I was lying in a hospital bed, so I signed. And that's probably in hindsight, it wasn't a great idea. And, and it turned out that way. You know, the season was, wasn't great. I, I left after about eight, nine games because with the three foreigner rule, you know, the, the Brazilian guy, uh, João Paulo, broke his leg, which was a ball I passed through to him. And he went one-on-one -on -one with a keeper and broke his leg against <laughs> Torino. So I was real popular down south. And um, he, he was replaced with uh, Zvon Boban, uh, who was coming on loan from Milan, so that he couldn't come until the window. And then they sacked the coach and um, Zibi Boniak became coach of Bari. And Boniak agreed to come as long as he could bring Robert Yarny, uh, the, left, uh, the Croatian left back. And obviously David Platt wasn't, wasn't going to make way and it was Boban hadn't, even arrived and so it was me to make way and uh, unfortunately I was frozen out for that, the rest of that season. You were the odd mm. one out. So Correct. from there you go to Notts County under Neil Warnock which oh, is gee. an interesting move. <laughs> <laughs> what a character mate, he's still around as well. <laughs> Ch champion guy, he, um, <laughs> we played Liverpool, we had needed to, I think we needed to win three of our last four games and we played Liverpool away at Anfield and uh, he's given us the big speech beforehand and, uh, you know, talking about what we've got to do and we need to do this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if we can just hold him for the first 20 minutes, he was giving it the big, big drum. And anyway, 20 minutes in, we're 4-0 down. So <laughs> it ended up 4-0. And at halftime, Neil Warner, he's come in, he's had his car keys in his hand. And he said, you know, he says, Without going into all the, the verbal, he was just abusing everyone. And he then he cut. I did. And then he looked at me and he said, And you, he says, And you, you, you're like you're on Bondi Beach feeding the fucking seagulls. <laughs> and I was looking, you know, four nil down, the ball's down the hour end all the time. I'm standing up there like a seagull. And uh, he said, You see these keys? He says, I won't be here when you get back in from the second half. I'm going home now. So needless to say, the, the week after we played Coventry, I think, at home and Drew, and there were still three games to go and we were relegated, relegated. And that was the last season before the Premier League started. So we're going down. And uh, fortunately, Neil said to me, look, you know, we're paying you money to 
to, to stay here. We can't stay up now. He said, would you mind breaking the contract? And I said, no problem because you know, my wife was pregnant and I went back and my son was born the next day. So it was most probably a sign. Fascinating stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and then the latest... And Neil's stop. still around. Jeez. He is. Mate, yeah. I was going to ask you, Frankie, mate, he's still fucking going. I know. <laughs> That's what I said, Craig. There's still hope for me yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. Um, the next stop on your on your magical mystery tour, Frank, was, was France. Two years you spent there um, with Strasbourg and Lille. And again, it's amazing when you do your research on this and you, you see the the quality of player that you're you're actually playing with. And we know you were a great player, but Frank LeBeuf, Olivier Decor, uh, Remy Gard, who was with Arsenal, um, they were teammates of yours at Strasbourg. And then when you went to Lille, you played with Antoine Sibieski, who I remember very well from his days with, with Manchester City. Um, it, it, France is a, a country that not many Aussies go and play in. How did that sort of come about? Yeah, well, that was my time with uh, Bari. Obviously, went to Notts County on loan, and and during that time, Strasbourg had, had expressed an interest. So, it, you know, after Notts County, I was frozen out, and, and that was a time of, you know, going to to Notts County was quite incredible because I, I didn't say that Trevor Francis. Were, I was supposed to go to Sheffield uh, Wednesday. Trevor Francis. I, I actually went to Sheffield first, and I was on trial with Sheffield. And Trevor Francis coached in Australia and he, or he played in Australia with Wollongong and he wanted me to sign and we'd agreed on terms and everything. And the representative from, from Bari, um, they told me they were going to let me go and I'll cut it really short. And they basically stabbed me in the back. And that, from there, that's when I went to Knotts County on loan, on loan. But at Sheffield Wednesday, there was one Eric Cantona who was also on on loan with Sheffield, but not playing, but he was on trial. And I remember going with Trevor the night they picked me up from the airport and we went to the Sheffield Arena. There was an indoor tournament going on and Sheffield had a, Sheffield Wednesday had a team in it and Eric was playing. And I'll never forget Trevor saying to me, he goes, oh, he's, he's a, he's, looks like a good player, but he's a Tanner ball player. He needs his own ball to play. And anyway, he didn't end up <laughs> signing him. <laughs> and I was in a nightclub with Eric and I didn't speak French. He didn't speak Italian or, or English. And he was, you know, he's a big man. And he, through his interpreter, the guy that was with him, he's saying, uh, you know, I don't think they like me. I don't think I'm going to sign, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he ended up signing with Leeds. So I think Trevor most probably would never admit to saying that, but uh, he missed one good one there. Wow. <laughs> That's a great story. Oh, it's a very good one. Um, <laughs> so after after your your stint in Europe comes to an end, you, you come back to Australia in in 1995 with the Strikers, um, and you lead them to to their finest hour in 1997. Oh, you're, you're just trying to make Zelko cry now. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> the NSL Grand Final, 1997. You win two 0 against Sydney United. You score. And you score past a certain Zelko Kalats in the Sydney United yeah. goal. Yeah. They, they Talk us through it, Frank. They were a good side. Look, uh, you know, no, seriously, they were they were they were a good side. They and you look at the names in that team at that time, and you know, there's a, a who's who of Australian football, and that club was producing great players. And and look, we had experienced players, and yeah, I, I managed to score past Zelko, but I, he knows, and I know that if I'd actually hit it 
the way I would like to have hit it, he he would have he would have just picked it up with one of his big mitts and it wouldn't have been a problem. But I think I shocked the shit out of him by it was a knee shin toe. It came off everything and came through bodies and just trickled into the corner. Um, but I still remember it clearly as well, Frankie. <laughs> Clear as day, mate. Well, well, now you know I'm being totally honest. It was uh, it was one of those ones in in a final and. You know, we, we, we went into the game knowing that they were a very good side. We play, ended up playing each other, I think, five five times that season. And, you know, it ended up that that final game was the decider through, and we ended up winning three out of the five. But, you know, they were a very good side, worthy uh, premiers and, you know, in, in my view, worthy champions because I still believe first past the post is the most consistent team. But, you know, it was... It was a great time for, for Brisbane and, and obviously Sydney and I producing all those players. But, yeah, it was an interesting grand final. And, and you know, we went into the game knowing that, you know, they scored a lot of goals. And the, the key for them, I, I thought at the time, was, you know, using the analogy of the head of a snake, you know, they had Milicic, Drilic and, and Marisic, who Marisic was a creator and they'd scored a lot of goals. And I thought, well, if we can cut the head off the snake, we, we've got a chance here. And I had two experienced defenders in Alan Hunter and Danny Wright, who, you know, I felt could handle the, the two and um, Milicic and Drillich. And then Marisic was the key. So I, I pulled Gwen, 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 Glenn Gwynn, who was a central defender, come sweeper. And uh, I had to leave out Gary Phillips, who was a, a good friend and a you know great stalwart of football uh, out of the team. And I just, Gwynny was mobile. He was quick and good defender. And I just put him on Marisic and, it seemed to work and we, we got the win. So it was a you know wonderful time, not just for myself, I think, but for Queensland football. But Frankie, that was a, so correct me, that you were player coach then. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a fatal mistake as well. It you know, how it came about doesn't matter, but you know, your first time as player coach and we win the title. So I thought I was, you know, six foot tall bulletproof <laughs> and I was a genius. <laughs> I was a genius. This is easy. <laughs> And then, and then the next year, then I realised this this coaching gig ain't so simple, you know. But it couldn't be done today, and I I, I think it was just a one off that one season. I, I was t- two years player coach, but the second season I didn't play much. And that year we just had a good blend of of youth and and experience, and it it you know it worked out. We finished second in the league, but uh, you know as Australia is, it's, it's one game, and you know a good side can have a day a bad day, and that's what Sydney United had that day. Worked out. bullied us. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out very well for you, Frank. Um, and in 1998, which is only a year after that uh, title win, all of a sudden you're the national team coach. Um, now, 99, oh, I, I think it was. Oh, was it I went to Marconi okay. for, for a year, yeah. My apologies. Um, but I want to ask you about the appointment as Socceroos coach because, now I wasn't in Australia at the time, but from the stuff that I've read and that I've learned... Is it fair to say there was a, a bit of opposition to your appointments? Because there, there seemed to be three or four different candidates. Mate, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, I don't know if anyone's ever really let the, the true story be told. Um, it was pure politics. Uh, it's as simple as that. I think there was myself, uh, Ange Postacoglu, uh, Eddie Krenchevic, I think was also in the mix, and David Mitchell. <clears throat> and without going in, and telling too many stories. One day I will tell the, the total thing, but we all had interviews at the the, um, the travel lodge at 
just beside the airport. I don't know if it's the travel lodge anymore. It's not definitely not the travel lodge, but we all had interviews there and, and there was a lot of backward and forward going with deals being done by board members. And, and as I said, I don't want to mention names now, but if we get this one and you can have this, we'll put so-and-so here. We'll put, it was like shuffling, you know, the deck around everywhere. And, and I wasn't going to get the job because there was a lot of opposition. And I sort of knew that, but then politics re- raised its ugly head and deals were done. And all of a sudden I became the national coach. Um, so it was, it, it, and that might sound a little bit vague because that's the way I want to, I want to leave it because one day, hopefully I will, you know, get to tell the real, the real story and, and the real truth of that, that appointment, but, but also the, the ensuing five, five and a half year reign. It's uh, was a most probably the most hostile times in Australian football and in that six years I was national coach I think I had six seven CEOs and seven presidents wow <laughs> not a not a great sign for stability wow. I guess extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary um let's touch upon one or two of those highs and lows uh, on the pitch uh, failure to qualify for the World Cup in, in 2002, the two-legged defeat against Uruguay in 2001. Tony Vidmar famously in tears on the pitch at the end. Was that your worst moment in the job? It was most probably the, the saddest moment. Mm. Um, saddest. It's a, a word that you can use uh, loosely, I guess, but I felt we had, a, we, had a, we had a great side. And, you know, that, that side progressed on and, 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 you know, I don't think I've ever seen an Australian team with that much talent that we had. When I say team, I'm not talking just the 11 players. I'm talking to, you know, the 30 players we had to choose from. Um, you know, we, we were rich in every area. And, and unfortunately, it came down to, <clears throat> as it did in 2006, two games over a four-year four year cycle. So, you know, unfortunately, in that, that final lead-up, um, to those games, you know, Tony Popovich was was struggling with um, with a foot injury, and there was, you know, this, that whole story there has has another tale of its own, and I'm sure Tony will would be happy to to you know um, go on about that. But you know, we I had to make a decision. <clears throat> you know, we won the first leg at home, and it was always going to be it was always going to be close, irrespective of what was said after the game. We should we we needed to win by more. That's a very easy thing to say. We won nil with uh, Kevin Musket penalty. It was a solid performance and we'd never won at that stage in terms of a World Cup qualifier in Australia. So, you know, if someone would have said to me before the game, you're going to win, I would have signed it for it. And I think all the players would have signed for it. One nil, we were criticised for not winning by more. You know, we're playing Uruguay. And if, if you really go through the game, uh, in Uruguay, we were in that game until, you know, right till the death. And until that third goal went in, we were in that game and we had chances. Yeah. So, you know, Frankie, it was one of those things. And, we, you know, I was slaughtered after. Sorry, Craig. Yeah. No, thank you. I remember, I mean, obviously I played that game and uh, obviously you've got to um, face the early onslaught, which we knew was, was going to happen. Um, yeah, we conceded, we conceded a goal, which wasn't great, but. Dukes had a great chance, didn't he, really, to... I think it was at 2-0. We were 2-0 down, but Dukes had a great chance, which would have put us in an, in an unbelievable position. Yeah, 100%. And even, I think, Emma went through early on in that first half. And, you know, later on, Harry had a chance, you know, chested 
left foot volley from all but 10, 10 yards out and, you know, went over the bar. And I think um, when Agostino might have come on, had a decent chance or, or Skoko. So we had our chances in a, in a furnace. I mean, you played there. Um, yeah. You know, you've both been there. It, it, it's a hostile environment. But we were, we were by no means beaten badly. It was just one of those things. And you both played at the, at the levels where you – it's small things in football. You know, you sneak one of those goals – and we're going. We're going to France. Um, yeah. oh, oh no, sorry, to Japan, Korea. So it was one of those things. And you know, was it was it a down moment for me? Yes, because I thought it was a you know a wonderful opportunity. You know, in hindsight, could I've you know uh, Murph Murph came in for Popovich, which I I thought was just a clear swap, and he'd done so well for us in the past. Um, could I put Tony Didmar there? That's that's another thing, which you know most probably was an option. But no, I I, I would go with what we did because I thought that we were right in the game until the death. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be, but it was a, it was a great indicator for four years to come. And, and the report that I had to put into the FA, the SWOT analysis about that campaign, which I've still got and happy to, to, to give to you guys if you're ever interested in reading what I, I said about that campaign. Um, all of those things that I put in the report came to fruition in that 2006 campaign in terms of lobbying for the away game first, because no one's going to tell me that Uruguay didn't weren't getting their preferences in terms of where the first game was played. The arrival at the airport, I suggested we we should have had a private charter, which I I pushed for in that in that 2001 year, but we didn't have the money. Um, and you know the FA were, were were broke. Let's be brutally honest, and we did it as best we could in terms of what what budget they had. So all those recommendations were put into place because, you know, one Frank Lowy, a powerful man, uh, managed to to get things which I, I think helped uh, helped us qualify 2006. Sure did. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let, let's move on to a, a more positive note. Uh, the win over England in 2003, yes, it was only a friendly game, but made a lot of headlines at the time. Um, we do have a Twitter question as well from Chris Hockman. How did it feel when you're leading England and they substitute the entire team at half time, um, but that's not to take away from, from what you did that day. Um, that that must have been a wonderful night for you and the team. Oh yeah, yeah without doubt, it was fantastic. And and that, the game came about because we hadn't played for such a long time. And um, uh, Ian Knopp, who was the the president or the president at the time, he said to me, oh, "I've got some good news and some bad news." And he said, uh, "You know, anyway, gave me the." the bad news, which was something other than the England. He said, the good news is we're playing England. And I said, geez, okay, <laughs> that's great news <laughs> in, in England. And so, um, you know, it was fantastic. And, and I, I knew that the, the, the players would be up for it because they, you know, they're all, they're all wanting to play for Australia. There was no doubt about that. And um, so, yeah, we, the game was all set, you know, it was sponsored by Forex, I think, for that particular game because money was still an issue. And I can tell you a few boys like that sponsor, but we, we won't go into that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and, and that was, that was the, the game which also changed that, that substitution rule within FIFA because after that game, FIFA changed the rules to, and it was that particular game, um, that they decided that it was only six... Uh, six um, substitutions from there uh, for friendly internationals. And I think that still stands today. I'm not sure, but mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful night, wonderful time. And, and we thoroughly deserved the win. You know, if you look at the game again, uh, we played extremely well. And, you know, we were most probably set back a little bit by their substitutions at half time. So, but uh, overall, it was, you know, wonderful, wonderful memory. Um, in 2005, uh, Frank, you were replaced by Husinink by the Federation at the end of uh, the, the Confed Cup of that year. Um, with the World Cup around the corner, that must have been a very difficult pill to swallow, even though you'd, you'd lost all three games at the Confed Cup. The thing that I remember at the time is that you could have probably come out and, and had your say in the media as to what had gone on, but you never did. You never no. spoke out either against the Federation or against Hus Hiddink or anybody else involved in the game, which I thought, and this is only my personal opinion, showed admirable restraints and respect on, on, on your behalf. Yeah, look, there was, there was no need to, Simon. Um, you know, one day it may all come out the truth um, of what happened, and, and I know the truth, and, but I had six years as national coach, and, you know, most probably the, the, the fresh start was maybe what was needed. And in, in, in the end, you'd have, to, you'd have to say and argue that it was because we qualified. So there, there's no point going back and saying, was it the right thing? Because there was two games to go. I think, well, four games. We had to beat Solomon Islands, I think, uh, home and away which we were going to do. And, and even, even that became a bit of a struggle. Uh, and then the Uruguay game. So, no, for me at that time, um, disappointed wasn't, wasn't the word. It, it might sound really stupid, but in some ways it was relief. It was like you don't realise the storm you're in a, in life a, a lot of times until you actually step outside of it. And <clears throat> so six years... I had a fair crack, you know, and, and we missed qualification 2002 and I knew Frank and I had meetings with him at, at his house and whatever, and we could not afford to fail. Uh, without going into all details, we could not afford not to qualify. And, and, you know, Frank at that stage could not afford because he'd come back into the game. So he was going to do everything possible. There was no guarantees, but that he could say, well, I've done everything that, you know, to make it that we can qualify. And I respected that. Uh, and that appointment from Hitting, um, you know, that was making sure that we, he put everything in place that no one could say that, well, we didn't do enough or we didn't do everything possible. So there was absolutely no bitterness from me. Uh, it's, you know, people might say it's easy for you to say now, but there wasn't. I had a fair crack and six years was a long time as national coach and very turbulent times, as I said. But um, I will never have bad things to say about a game that has given me so much. Um, and, you know, there's always good and bad. And you've, got to, you, you've got to take it. And then I think be respectful at the same time. Frank, I know you well because I've worked with you also at, at Clubland, and obviously your loyalty for me is, is admirable. We've got a, an unbelievable relationship through that. You touch on politics in terms of um, getting the job. Mm. Was there politics in terms of you losing your job? 100%. There definitely was. I mean, leading to the, the Confeds Cup, you know, I was instructed um, to pick certain players. And, and uh, we were in, uh, I think, Craven, oh, we were at, uh, what's it, Chelsea's, Chelsea Village. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of things happening. A lot of 
people getting invited to go to Holland because there was a World Youth Cup, I think, happening at the same time. Um, and John O'Neill was the new CEO. And John, John was a great, great, great guy, great CEO. He was, uh, you know, he was a bully. And I think you have to be when you're in those roles. And I'm not saying it was, it was from John, but it was from the highest of highest that, you know, I was instructed basically who to pick and who to, you know, who to put in the, in the, the squad to go. And I refused pretty much point blank and said, whilst I'm the national coach, you know, as far as I know, you know, I'm the one who selects the team, rightly or wrongly. If we fail, then that's, that's on my head. And so I knew there was a, there was a storm brewing. And, you know, that, that was well before the Confeds Cup. And it was within my own group as well in terms of, you know, staff. And, you know, that there was, there was some turmoil uh, for, for other reasons. So, again, I, I can't go into Craig and, you know. Mate, that... your book's going to be unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, 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 um, there was a lot of politics involved in that. And unfortunately, you know, the previous Confederations Cup, which you, you were at, where we did it, yeah, ever so well. We weren't disgraced in Germany. We we lost four three to Germany. I didn't think that was a, a real disgrace. You know, four two to Argentina, and you know the third game against Tunisia. You know, I, I changed the squad and gave a few boys, uh, you know, a run. We we had no chance of making it. So I sort of knew after that that it was that storm was turning into you know a hurricane, and and that, when we got back to Australia, it, it uh, everything I sort of believed. Came to, came to fruition. It's fascinating stuff, Frank. Um, I want to finish off because we've been going quite some time with, with a couple of Twitter questions, if you don't mind. Um, this first one from Nick Rojas, who asks, this might be a tough question to answer, but how do you look back on your time with Sydney? Of course, you, you went on to coach in the A-League after the national team with both Brisbane and Sydney. Uh, Nick asks, what were your thoughts on how the fans viewed you in your last months at the club? Yeah, look, the fans are the life base of, of any club, you know. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I came into Sydney to do a specific role. It was, you know, the the, the year I came in, uh, I had two seasons, if you like. But the first season I came in after 10 games, I think Ian Crook resigned. And that was the year, you know, the signing of Del Piero. Uh, the spider was there. We, we you know, we, we had to... Look, I'm going to be brutally honest. We, we needed to, to clear out some stuff in the, in the club. That's why the club was in, in the situation it was in. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that we're talking about bad players or this or that, but there was time for some to, to, to move and need to be, you know, start, a, start afresh. And that two-year period was pretty much what was happening. Uh, you know, trying to move, uh, move people on, uh, you know, get rid of some contracts which were, were, were not going well. Um, the club wasn't going well. And, you know, unfortunately, I was the pers person in charge. And I took that opportunity knowing full well what I was getting into. And, you know, the fans were upset about it. But what I will say is that, you know, after that second year, when we made the playoffs, we missed the, you know, getting into the grand final. But that would have been a big, big ask. Yeah, just, but it would have been a big ask. And, you know, the, the next year was really when you could start the whole rebuilding process, which it did. And then Sydney went on to some, some great years. Thank you. Really, really quick question. Marky that puts bums on seats 
or marquee player that can win you a title? Marquee player that can win you a title every day of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we, were, we had Del Piero, and we got to say, Frankie, mate, I was there with you. And I, yes. mate, I think the years you were at Sydney, I thought you'd done a remarkable job. And you won't say it because you were the manager, but, mate, we had a bang average squad. Bang average. And what we did was, was very, very good. And uh, the way you got treated was harsh. We had Del Piero there who actually put a lot of bums on seats. And, mate, he was, he was a great player. But he left us vulnerable in a lot of lot of positions. Yeah, and he was a great great man. I mean, you know, Spider. He was yeah. he was a great guy. You know, very humble in, in a lot of ways. But you know, like like I said, where you know we talk about you know transition in football, and and for me, it's you know we talk about defending and attacking. It's as simple as that. When you know we 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 tend to try and make the game more difficult than it is. It's it's about simply about defending and. And attacking, you can talk about transition and all that. That's fine, but it, when we were defending, you know, as much as I, I like Ali and respect him and, and what he's achieved, we were defending with ten men, and in, in, in no league in the world can you do that, let alone Australia. Um, mm. When we when we were in possession, yes, 30, 30 meters from goal, he could make things happen. But it was it was tough times, and we had to adapt to that. And you know, unfortunately, the A League had progressed into a you know. A, pretty good physical style of a game. And if you don't defend with 11 players, you, you're going to struggle. And we did. We had a roller coaster. Some weeks good, some weeks bad. And that was that was the reality. Frank, this, <clears throat> this might be an apocryphal story, but um, I, I was told once that you, you did ask politely Alessandro whether he would mind tracking back. And he, he gave you pretty short shrift. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, he told me a story about uh, if I had a dog. And um, I said, yeah, I have a dog. And he said, well, you know, I go to the park and throw the tennis ball. The dog goes and gets it and brings it back. He goes, when I lose the ball, it's like that. You know, they bring it back to me and then we start again. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, I remember that year, Frankie. We tried all sorts of systems to try to hold the pocket just to hide him somewhere. Mate, we tried everything. Well, that's what he said to me. He said, oh, you know what? In a, in a meeting, he said, you know, sometimes I'm on the left or on the right in the middle. And I said, Ali, we're moving around because teams, wherever you are, they're coming down. So we, we move you, you know. <laughs> That's when he gave me the story about the dog and the tennis ball, you know. And I'm giving the Benny Hill looks all around. But we had some great times, you know, with when the, when he was calling for the ambulance with uh, Abbas, uh, Ali Abbas. And, <laughs> and the, Ali, Ali's yelling out in Italian, call an ambulance, call an ambulance, because he was having a bit of a run-in with Ali Abbas in the dressing room. And I remember Anthony Korea, the pocket rocket, turn around and say, Ali, just be quiet because the ambulance will be for you. He, you know, he, <laughs> <laughs> he knows martial arts or something. So oh, there's some funny yeah. times. Uh, uh, Frank, we could we could talk for hours. Um, I've got one more question for you, and this is our question of the week. $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher going to Lee Brocks and Facts. And I think this is a good one, actually. Um, what needs to improve for strikers not scoring in the A-League in general? Is it technique? Is it the mental side? Or is it just coaching? I like that. Yeah. Chances would be another one in there. You know, give them enough chances, they'll score. But yeah, look, I think coaching, um, you can't you can't coach a striker. It's a gift. They, they have a natural talent of putting the ball in the back of the net. But, you you know, you can you can coach strikers into 
especially young ones into, you know, I, I, I put it into three categories for strikers, movement, uh, runs, and finishing. Finishing is a gift, but you can, you can get them into situations about do they place the ball? Do they, you know, do they dink it in these situations or do they just hammer it? So that, those categories, I think, in terms of young players, if you look at coaching, that's what you can coach them into, giving them ideas of, you know, movement. No defender likes someone who's just continually moving around. So give them an idea of where to move, you know, and then runs. Where, how do you make runs? So, and then finishing. So those are the three areas. So I, I guess to answer in a nutshell, coaching, I don't think there's enough specific um, striker coaching. There's, you know, we have specific goalkeeping coaching, but in terms of specific strikers coaching, that's, that's the areas I'd be focusing on in terms of, um, you know, trying to teach good habits to young players. It's a good question. Good answer. Um, Frank, before we let you go, uh, are you done with coaching? I, I know you're working, I think, with a, a school at the moment. Or would you still like to get back into coaching ideally? Oh, I'd love to, you know, and, and if the right opportunity came up, um, you know, the game, game is in trouble in this country at the moment. I'm sorry, I've got to say that. Um, you know, I've recently resigned from MacArthur, nothing to do with anything other than I had an opportunity to, to start up something else. Um, but, they, you know, they're, they're travelling really well for their first season. But, uh, you know, I'll say it to, to you guys because I've worked with all of you, um, but the game is in trouble in Australia. I don't care what anyone says. I think Jamie Johnson's doing a great job. He's got a big job ahead of him. Um, you know, our focus is obviously the, the 23 Women's World Cup, but, you know, our, our game is in trouble and we, we've, we've got to try and do as much as we can to help it out. We all agree, we all agree with you, Frankie. We, we know there's a lot, lot of hard work to, uh, to be done in our game, uh, a lot of uncertainty, uh, which is not fantastic. Um, but we're, we're in a, a really, really tough place and unless we make some serious decisions and get good leadership, our game's not going forward. No, and it just shows in the players, Craig, at the moment. We, I talk about the luxury I had of coaching a national team with what I believe, you know, a number of you guys will go down as, as the greats of our game. I'm not saying, I'm not pissing in your pockets or anything, but it's true. Uh, and I, I often speak the truth, and that's all I try to do. But where are the players coming from now? You know, with no disrespect to our national team, <clears throat> We're our stars. We have good players, but we don't have we don't have the the Moors, the the Kalachs, the Vadukas, the the Ocons. I could you know I could spend five minutes just naming names. Um, the Kules, the Kules, everything. It's it's crazy. We're these players now, and and that that is an indictment on our on our on our system. And you know I'm sitting in a, on a committee, and we 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 an advisory committee. Um, but you know, it's we all realise that it, you know we're trying to trying to do what we can, but um, it, it's it's a tough gig all around. Mm. I think in terms of where we are at the moment in the game. Spider, 100%. you get you, you get the final word with your weekly question. Go on, mate, Frankie, mate, the best stadium you've ever played at, and the biggest dungeon you've ever played at. <laughs> well, I think you know the best stadium that. I played it in terms of pure atmosphere uh, was the Azteca Stadium in Mexico City. Um, mm. As a young player, the opening game of the 83 Youth World Cup. Uh, in terms of noise, deafening, and on the pitch, that would 
you know, most probably be the stadium that I would remember most being young and, you know, um, having been influenced by. Uh, the worst one, I would have to say, most probably Green Gully down in Melbourne. Oh, it was on the not side bad, of Frank. <laughs> this is back in the day when it was built. I don't know if it's still like that, Green Gully. I apologize. But back in the day, <laughs> it was on the side of a a hill which was a dump, a former dump site. And I swear on my life, he used to run on this field and there'd be bits of tin cans and spoons and <laughs> knives from rubbish that <laughs> was still coming up out of the grass. You didn't want to fall down because you'd, you'd get cut or something. So that, that was not high up on my memories, Spider. <laughs> <laughs> not bad. Absolutely brilliant, Frank. Um, we could talk for hours, but uh, we, we've gone on probably long enough for this podcast. Uh, all that remains, Frank, is for us to say thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, some wonderful memories. And um, I don't know about everybody else. I'm pretty sure most people would agree. I think you've still got an awful lot to offer football in this country. Uh, and hopefully those uh, uh, skills and that experience uh, is not going to be wasted. So thank you so much, mate, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Frankie. Cheers, mate. That is Frank Farina, and that is us for this week. Uh, join us again next week for more Shim Spider and so much more. See you then. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.